Hi, everybody. Welcome to the May 3rd, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Senator Michael Bennett making it official that he will be running for president in 2020, making him the second Colorado Democrat to join the very crowded race. Patty Calhoun from Westward, he becomes the 21st Democrat to run, to announce uh, his or her uh, uh, running for the presidency in 2020. What's going to make Bennett look any different than the other 20 folks running for the same position? Well, the fact that he announced first that he had cancer and he wasn't going to run unless he had gotten good news from the doctors, which he did after surgery. So that's one thing that makes him different from the other 20. Also, his brother is the editor, editorial page editor of the New York Times, and interestingly, he has now had to take himself out of any coverage of the presidential campaign. That's an interesting debate. I didn't realize that. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I broke a major rule for Colorado Inside Out today. I actually did some homework. Since 1900, only three sitting senators have become president. Warren G. Harding, John F. Kennedy, and Barack Obama. Why do you think Michael Bennett thinks he can become the fourth? Uh, think back to another senator who uh, ran for president twice, uh, Birch Bayh of Indiana, who, by the way, in, in one of those campaigns, the other Democratic senator from Indiana was also running. And Birch Bayh was asked, you know, how, how can you imagine yourself being president? You, know, you look at George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt. You think you're in that company? He's, no, not, not even close. But then I looked at all the other people who were running and I said, I'm definitely in. <laughs> Well said. It's good to have you back, David. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor of Colorado Politics. It's great to have you here. What do you think is the attraction for somebody like Michael Bennett to run for president when he's got a pretty sweet gig as Senator of Colorado? I don't think he enjoys being a senator that much. You know, I know Michael fairly well, and he's just not a political guy. But more and more, every day, he looks more like a politician. And I've said from the beginning, I've been on record for a while now, saying I don't think he's running for president. I think he's running for Secretary of Education. And this elevates his profile. I don't, I don't see a Coloradan in the White House. I wrote a column about that a couple of months ago. I don't see John Hickenlooper getting there. And I, I'm sorry, Coloradans, I don't see Michael Bennett making it either. Natasha Gardner, articles editor at 5280, rounds up the panel. Natasha, does this run for president uh, help or hurt Michael Bennett at all when it comes to Colorado? Let, let's say the odds are right. He doesn't actually become the nominee. He comes back to just being our senator, just being our senator. Does it help or hurt him a few months down the road? I think it's too early to say. It depends on how this campaign 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 goes. I mean, what I think is interesting is of the 20 plus candidates, you know, he's not going to win the award for being the most um, outrageous. He's not going to win the award for being the most angry even, despite his, his crocodile tear speech. What he will maybe win an award for is being the best listener. And recently he has said that he didn't go to Washington to, to, to become, to get attention. He went to Washington to pay attention. What will be interesting now is do the voters pay attention to him? Good question. We'll see. The 2019 legislative session comes to a fast and furious end later today with some bills making it to the governor's desk and others failing to cross the finish line. A bill that would make it more difficult to opt out of vaccinations failed in a Senate committee and a proposed nicotine tax bill that would have sent the matter to voters in 2020 failed in a full Senate vote. Patty, out of all the different things we've seen, and we'll look at the overall session uh, for our next round, but for this week, were you surprised to see the nicotine tax fail uh, so quickly in the Senate? No, just because it was complicated and it was late. Another thing that came up yesterday that people hadn't been paying enough attention to was the sunset laws for marijuana. 
uh, both medical marijuana and the marijuana regulations. And those had to be redone because they sunsetted after this session. And what's amazing is if you look at the thing that one of the things that passed and has gone to Polis's desk was social consumption use, which is going to allow people to smoke, not not cigarettes, but smoke marijuana once people get licensed for these kind of social use things. So we're going to see some really big fights coming up about that. I think it was just a little late on the nicotine thing, and vaccinations are so controversial, they just couldn't have another 10-hour hearing with the upset parents. That's a good point. Uh, David, what surprised you most? I mean, the last week of the sessions are always crazy, whether it's uh, a split legislative session or when one party owns both houses. Uh, What stood out to you this week uh, that will likely be a little bit more remember, rememberable from this week? Well, I think one of the good things was, as Patty was talking about, so many of the late bills died. One of the problems the legislature often has is sometimes really big, important bills uh, that should be introduced early and go through the full process and lots of public debate. Instead, there's just all these behind-the-scenes negotiations of the power players, and so you have a bill dropped with, like, 15 days to go in the session. That's that's contrary to the spirit of our Constitution, and I'm, I'm glad those are, are not succeeding. Uh, one thing that's really important, uh, the legislature passed something to say that marijuana, medical marijuana, is now prescribable as an alternative to opioids. That should have been done long ago. That, that's a really good step. And, you know, on, on the vaccine bill, I, I'm pro-vaccine myself. But I think the, the way this bill was was deliberately harsh uh, to people who have different views because it said to, to get a waiver, uh, you know, for your religious exemptions or whatever, you have to do it in person, uh, like with your county health department. Well, there's plenty of people who have to work two full-time jobs. They don't have time. They can't take the day off to go to the health department. And, you know, you, live in a, you might live in a rural county where there's one health department for three large rural counties, and so it's a, a full-day trip to do that. And th- that was, I think unnecessarily and, and, and deliberately abusive. Joey, you are a man on the hill. What do we need to know about what happened this week? Well, you know, Republicans haven't had a lot to be happy about the last few months since the November election, but their strategy paid off in this session. And their strategy was, it's not over till we say it's over. And they did that by filibustering bills, by driving debates. You know, they filibustered their own bills. They read uh, Supreme Court decisions. And they went to court, you know, on the oil and gas regulation bill. And now they're going to court on the red flag uh, gun control bill. So that's, you know, that's a win when you don't have minority, when you're the minority in the House and the Senate, that's all you can do is play the hand you're dealt. And they did that pretty well this session. You know, the vaccination bill, you know, it was it was an injustice to all the people, you know, for and against the vaccinations to spend hours and hours up there only to see that bill die on the calendar. It was one of the most controversial bills of the session. And you know, will it be back next year? I don't know. I doubt it. The only thing more contagious than measles is the lack of political backbone. <laughs> this is every single time we get a reason why you were called ratings gold, Joey. Yeah. Uh, Natasha, do you think uh, folks who are against 
vaccinations uh, should take what happened this week as a major victory or a temporary victory, knowing we have a whole new session next year? I think temporary. This is one of those things that will come back, of course, um, sort of in the zombie bill <laughs> process that we will we will have probably next session. But we can talk about that um, in, in a little bit. What I think is interesting is that, that there was so much going on this past week. And, and in, in previous sessions, we've, we've talked a lot about death by committee. Um, there were plenty of bills this term that had death by calendar, just by management and, and where and when things were coming up for a debate. Um, one thing that hasn't gotten a lot of headlines this week, which I think is interesting, is the um, bill that looked at reducing greenhouse gas emissions pretty aggressively and a long time period, but a pretty fast time period in many ways as well. That was pushed forward by Casey Becker. It's a pretty huge win for her. She's had a pretty big session in general. Um, but I think we, we should, uh, the media as a whole could spend some more time digging into that one. With 99.9% of the 2019 legislation, legislative session now in the books, let's look back at the entire session and see what stands out as the major moments that may have political ramifications moving forward. David, the 2013 legislative session had serious ramifications for Democrats. It led to a slew of recalls, uh, a lot of different campaign uh, reaction. Do you think, what, what reaction do you think 2019 session will have for Democrats? Well, I'd say Representative Galindo's vote to destroy her counties and cities' economy um, might lead to a successful recall against her. But, but more broadly, we go back to 1875 and 76 when our constitutional convention met. And they did not want to do nothing legislature. They actually had a number of things they ordered the legislature to do, like legislation to protect state forests or creating uh, a good homestead exemption. But at the same time, they were extremely mistrustful of the legislature and expected a lot of self-dealing. As one scholar wrote, it's after they created the legislature, you could, you could sense that they regretted having done so. And so Article 5, which is about the legislature, is full of all kinds of procedural limits on the legislature to prevent hasty and excessive legislation. They didn't want too many laws, and they didn't want them getting rammed through without people seeing it. So Article 5, Section 21, says that a bill is, must be read by title when introduced and then read at length, at least on two other occasions. Uh, that can be dispensed with unanimous consent. This year, the Republicans withheld that unanimous consent on some bills. And I think that's a good move that I hope becomes part of the future legislative culture, because when my dad was in the legislature, he'd read every bill he voted on, but he was a fairly lonely guy in doing that. Tim, Tim Foster from Grand Junction, he's now president of Mesa State, would also do that. But the vast majority of legislators don't read the bills before they vote. So if they won't read, then we can at least go to the backstop and have them read out loud uh, by the teacher, and, and maybe they'll pay attention uh, sometimes to the actual content of what they're going to be imposing on other people. Joey, how would you describe the 2019 session? Now, again, while there's some action between the time of this taping and midnight tonight, from what you've seen, was there a theme, a vibe? How would you describe it? Ah, it's a good time to be a Democrat. You know, you look at the bills that passed, and, you know, we expected this to be a liberal legislature, and it was. You know, um, uh, you mentioned the Climate Action Plan, and there were other satellite bills addressing the climate 
Uh, there was the oil and gas regulation bill that the fractivists have been trying to get for years. There were a lot of left-leaning health care bills. Uh, Full-day kindergarten, which was one of Jared Polis's, the governor's uh, top priorities. And, and Casey Becker, I think, did a masterful job of carrying out Jared Polis's agenda during this session. You know, for Republicans, you know, they'll be back next year drawing up plays in the dirt again and hoping that Democrats will overreach and sour that political middle that we have in Colorado. You know, I've said on this show and I've said elsewhere, I, I don't think we're a blue state. I think we're a swing state and Democrats have got the power to spin that, send that pendulum back the other way next year if they're as liberal next year as they've been this year. Natasha, I think if you know, you're going to pick a Hollywood movie title for it, I think earlier in the session we had thought you know, Fast and Furious, the Dems mm -hmm. strike back, felt like it because the speed of how things were going along became a lot of the headlines we talked about on the show. What do you think people are going to take away from the overall session from 2019? I think that sometimes with a session, well, any session has a start and an end date. But in particular, this session had an early sort of start, a preemptive start to it, and it's going to continue on all summer. If, if people think they're going home from the Capitol and don't have to work on Monday, that's not going to be the case. I mean, we're going to see that with the red flag legislation and um, with the oil and gas question. I mean, the ink is, is barely dried on those, and we're already, they will be conversations all summer long. Next year, I think we're going to see we already talked about vaccinations. That's, I think, going to come back. Um, there will be continued conversations about family um, leave. There will be continued conversations about the death penalty. And I think, um, yes, on the one hand, Republicans are going to be able to say, aha, we were able to slow it down. They didn't, they didn't get to pass everything that they wanted to. On the other hand, I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for Democrats to spin this and say, see, we aren't just a binary party. This isn't just Republicans versus Democrats. We represent a broad spectrum of ideas. We aren't always going to agree. We aren't always going to push through our agenda. And that's a message that could really appeal to Colorado's independent voters. So I think it's too early to tell. I think it's simple to say the Republicans were able to do a lot with that. But I think the Democrats have an opportunity to really use that to their advantage. Penny, uh, a story that was bigger early in the session that kind of died away as we get to the latter part of the session was the relationship between the legislature and Governor Polis. How did you think that evolved? And as you look at the whole session, what do you take away from it? Well, I think Polis managed to kind of work behind the scenes. I mean, he got what he wanted, truly, which was the kindergarten uh, mm -hmm. thing. Amazingly, the oil and gas bill is kind of the revenge of Jared Polis because it was what he proposed on the ballots in 2014. I would say for a movie title, you'd be like Sex and the Single Party Legislature. <laughs> we forget how we were talking so much early in the session before vaccination. You were gonna, how, are, how are you going to vaccinate your child against hearing about sex? The endless sex education discussions. And now that bill is finally, finally at the last second zoomed through. The other one that is, you cannot believe is so late is the sex harassment workplace thing that came out because of last session's revelations about the legislature. Looks like this one is finally going to go through, but what took everyone so long? How hard is it to just say, behave yourselves? Indeed. We've learned that lesson the hard way around here. The City of Denver's Election Day the City of Denver's election day is next Tuesday, and as of this taping, voter turnout looks to be very light, just under fourteen percent. A competitive mayoral race, two controversial ballot issues, and two different open city council races hang in the balance. 
Joey, I look at 14%. I say, come on, Denver. I mean, this is, I realize this is not an open mayoral seat, but Initiative 300 is hitting record spending for commercials. There's a lot of things to vote for. Uh, what do you, why is it just so, such a light voter turnout so far? Well, one thing we expect about politics is that, that it's entertainment, and this just hasn't been that entertaining. You know, there are big issues that people should be excited about, the growth issue. But they're not. They haven't, you know, maybe the messages haven't galvanized. Maybe people just haven't shown up with their pitchforks and torches yet. But, uh, but I've been a little bit surprised. You know, we've got 50 candidates running for city council, two open seats, you know, a competitive third-term mayoral race. These are not usual things for Denver. But yet here we are with people saying, uh, you know, ho-hum rather than go get them. So I don't know what the answer is. I think the media landscape has changed. You know, the last time I was on, Eric Sonderman talked about that. We don't have as many reporters chasing the the race. You know, when I first got to Denver in uh, 2002, I I worked on uh, uh, Mayor John Hickenlooper's first run. And, you know, I would show up at events and there would be 20 reporters there. You show up at events now, there are three or four. So there aren't as many storytellers, so there aren't as many stories. Natasha, at, thir- at 14%, let's, let's be optimistic that another uh, few thousand are going to show up over the weekend and next Monday and Tuesday. Uh, who has the advantage there? Is that a, a happy city so an incumbent mayor is in good shape? Or mm. does that give a lot more latitude for folks who are vocal critics and they don't have a whole lot of competition in the, in the ballot box because maybe the happy folks stay at home? Well, I think it's it's important not to read too much into that number. Um, I think the the voting system with mail-in ballots is still early enough that we truly don't know what the impact of that is. I, I think human be- beings respond well to deadlines. As someone whose career is run by deadlines, you know, let, let's keep in mind election day is there for a reason, and people still have time to turn it in. So, if anything, it's a rallying cry for people to turn in their ballots, which of course they should do. Um, that would be wonderful. I think what's what's interesting for me is that this uh, there's competitive races there. There's, there's, um, um, but there's also some important initiatives on the ballot, in particular 300, which, uh, and we did some coverage of this and, and talked to all the mayoral candidates about it. And what's interesting is the initiative itself isn't too confusing, but the questions and the conversations about homelessness in the city are confusing and that people really are torn in different di- directions. And this, this initiative is raising those conversations right now. So whether it passes or whether it um, doesn't, I think it's raising important questions about, okay, what happened with Denver's Road Home? What happened to end, ending homelessness? Why are we in the, the situation where we are right now? Is this the right solution? Is it not? That's not going to get determined on Election Day. And I hope it does set the groundwork for having more conversations about the going forward. And I think the candidates who do win on Election Day have to address it. Patty, what do you think? You live and work in Denver. Are, are people just not interested in voting? Or uh, like Natasha, and I know I'm old school myself, are we looking at a flood of people voting on Tuesday? We have to remember how the dynamics of voting have changed. So you don't have to have a crowd out there with the pitchforks. You can sit at your own kitchen table and stick the fork in someone as you fill out your ballot. And I think there's a lot more um, quiet concern about the city. And people are going to sit down and really decide, am I going to vote for this? And 300, I think, will make more people vote who might have otherwise skipped some of this election. Uh, But people are, I do sense a bigger discontent than most people have. The question is, will they vote anyone but Hancock? Is there a challenger who's coming up strong? I'm remembering 
1983, Grandma Moses here, but that was when you didn't have a mail-in ballot. You know, we haven't had that. Mail-in ballots came in after Michael Hancock was first elected. In 1983, when there were more challengers to the incumbent, it was a snowstorm that really took out Bill McNichols, but there was a lot more discontent than people thought, and Federico Pena, who'd been the darkest of dark horses in that race, did take over. We could see something like that happen again. If well, if snow hits, but that probably won't happen. It doesn't look like it this weekend. But just if people look around and say, I don't like the potholes, I don't like the growth, I think we need change. David, uh, looking at a low turnout or the other energy and issues in this uh, election, who do you think that benefits? That's hard to say because if you would imagine there's a great silent majority that favors Hancock, but they're too lazy to vote, and so all you get is the 14% the malcontents who vote, you know, hypothetically, uh, you know, you, you could have an upset. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the campaigns are working very hard to, on their get-out-the-vote things to make sure their identified friendlies are, are pestered uh, until their, their ballot has been received. The 300 ballot initiative is very important. I mean, that would, if it passed, it would make Denver worse than Seattle and San Francisco in terms of the homeless problem because not only does it allow what authorized camping anywhere all over city parks it, Jeff Shoemaker who leads the campaign against it has explained it even says that your car is your legal residence and it's written in a way so that would override everything else if you park your car in a two-hour zone and live in your car uh, forever this ordinance would give you the right to do that and likewise, to park in front of somebody's house, even though there may be, you know, time limits on that street, uh, you know, for residential control and no overnight parking, all of that would go away. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The University of Colorado Board of Regents voted 5-4 to four on Thursday to hire its sole finalist for president, Mark Kennedy. Kennedy's contract will pay him $650,000 during his first year and $850,000 for, for years two and three, with many various bonus opportunities. Natasha, I figure your contract at 5280 is similar with a variety of uh, bonus opportunities and that kind of six figures. What did you think of Kennedy's uh, final approval by the regents. I think starting a new job is hard probably for anyone, even under the best circumstances. This is not that case. It's going to be very difficult for Mark Kennedy to come into this position given what's happened. And I think plenty of people involved in the pro process probably wish they would have done things differently and it might inform future searches. Um, what I think is interesting as we're talking, uh, as we look at coverage of, of this, um, this situation, it's come down to party line. Party line is something that's mentioned in almost every article that I've read about it, which ensures that if I know anything about the situation right now, the regent races are going to become more and more political moving forward. There's, uh, you know, sort of this question of does that need to happen? Do you have to? Does the initial behind your name matter when you're trying to help run a state university? Well, I think the, the answer is going to be clear that yes, it does. So expect more politics in those, uh, those campaigns going forward. Patty, I assume uh, people, new hires at West were get $80,000 moving expense allowance as well. So this probably didn't sound terribly new for your folks, but what did you think of him being approved? Well, when we went from the regents going for unanimous, making him the sole finalist, to five to four on this vote, I think we can say whether or not politics or the numbers by their name counts for regents, how about some due diligence that people who, four of them who 
two weeks after things broke, could decide he wasn't the right person. Why couldn't they have decided that a little earlier in the discussion? Why a sole finalist? I mean, I think University of Colorado is really going to have to revisit, and colleges in general, revisit how they choose their their next executive. We've been lucky with people who've been in the political sphere, who are also really good, not just at playing politics with the legislature, but raising money. So with Hank Brown and with Bruce Benson, we have no evidence that Mark Kennedy is going to be able to do the same. He's not a statesman. He, we know he hires assistants for too much money, and he has no record of being able to raise funds. Uh, David, what do you think? Conservatives have have led CU well before, but they also have pretty strong Colorado credibility. Does Mark Kennedy come in with a similar vibe? No, that's a big handicap for him compared to Hank Brown or Bruce Benson, who were very well known for for decades. Uh, His his salary is ridiculous, although sadly not out of line with with major American research universities. You know, he gets a 50,000 bonus for having a strategic plan. Well, you know, maybe the the 650,000, thousand base you're getting you, you could like find the time to create a strategic plan and another fifty thousand for visiting four colorado communities other than where the, the campuses are based i would do that for ten <laughs> <laughs> see you heard it here first yeah. you can get yourself a conservative who knows has colorado credibility and will do it for less money joey wrap it up for us well, you know, I think the underlying message here is that don't show up with conservative baggage at a liberal bus stop. You know, I think these races are way too political. And, you know, I agree with Natasha. I think they're going to become more so. And the students and the parents paying that tuition, they're footing the bill for this politics. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. The negative campaigning, especially from the dark money that's come up in the mayor's race, the signs being saw, uh, so stolen, the who is Jamie Gillis. We'd like to see the money being paid to maybe answer the question brought up in the No on 300. We can do better. How can we do better? That's going to be the challenge for Denver. David. Um, in uh, Mr. Kennedy's grovel tour, uh, where he tried to appease the unappeasable uh, folks, one of the things he said was he would support this idea of taking the caps off state government spending, eliminating your tax refunds, uh, because the promise is some of that money is going to go to higher education. He should ask his predecessor, Hank Brown, who got snookered into doing that same thing uh, uh, over a decade ago, and all that new money for CU uh, magically vanished and the legislature spent it elsewhere. Joey. The uh, anti-vaccination parents who threatened the family of Kyle, Representative Kyle Mullica, who sponsored the bill. Good grief, people. Get yourself together. Look in the mirror. Natasha. Well, I'd like to use the avalanche and the Nuggets as, as a positive thing this week. Unfortunately, in the Nuggets game, there was one fan who um, yelled a pretty inappropriate statement at one of the opponent players. It's just not a good look. I totally agree. Time to say something nice rather quickly. Patty. Happy World Press Freedom Day. <laughs> here, here. David. For the first time in as long as many people can remember, both the Avalanche and the Nuggets have made it to the second round of their uh, respective playoffs. First time ever. I did my research on that yeah. one, too. <laughs> Joey. The person who decided that the legislative session should only last 120 days. <laughs> Natasha. Despite its name, Park Hill could always use more parks, and according to the Denverite, it's going to get one in North Park Hill soon. 
I want to remind all of you that our last city council debates are tonight at 9 p.m. where we look at the races in the districts 8 and 9. And as Joey mentioned, there are 50 different candidates running for city council races. 28 of them are featured in debates at cpt12.org. And that also, uh, we also have our mayoral debate, which is all on our website, so you can check it out. If you have yet to vote, you're going to be part of the big rush on Tuesday. You can get very good research at cpt12.org. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.